Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. Today, Wicked is back to touch on career goals and gender stuff. I should probably also offer you an additional content warning that we're probably going to touch on things like suicidality and depression again today because both of us are depressives and... We are talking about things like what does success and failure look like in the mind of a depressive and how does career play into that? Gender also plays an interesting role in depression as it informs your sense of community and can sometimes produce isolation if you don't feel like you see yourself represented in society or in your friend circles or in your community. Body language is powerful and isolation in small communities can quite literally be fatal. Outside of secondary sex characteristics like scent and lines of the body, almost all of gender is abstract and constructed from the clothes we wear to most of the behaviors we learn, as evidenced by how different our behaviors are among sexes in different societies. Some societies recognize a third gender and have done for millennia. Others have fewer boxes in which they choose to categorize themselves. Fortunately, more and more countries are understanding that cosmetic modification of children's genitals is probably a really bad thing, it's probably going to lead to mental health problems later in life, and that, conversely, gender affirmation surgery when someone asks for it is probably a life-saving procedure. I think we discussed three notions today, that failure isn't the absence of success, that gender is a form of sorcery, and that mental health meds are a journey. Um, so let's talk about gender stuff. Oh, gender stuff. Because you said we could we could talk about them in the same yeah. episode. So I was yeah, like, sure. Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. So gender things. Um, I identify. I I prefer they them pronouns. I don't punch anyone if they use she her pronouns. That's fine. I call myself gender fluid, gender queer. My favorite is actually gender whatever because that's like that's great. Very. <laughs> I identify as just non-binary because yeah. then it's clear enough. It's it's For more of people. it's more of a statement that's really clear. It's like yeah. I am non-binary, yeah. which is to say I'm not exclusively performing ma- masculinity or mm-hmm, femininity. Mm-hmm. And if I'm given like the option on a form or whatever, because now they're sometimes including non-binary. Right. I, I have a lot of feelings about this. Yeah. Um, I'll always pick that. Like, I'll always pick non-binary. If it asks about pronouns, I'll always pick they, them. Yeah. Um, I identify with women as a group more so than as an individual. Like, mm. I understand... Because your socialization was similar. So. Yeah, like, I socialize the same. So I'm like, okay, I understand what women are going through. And when people say women, it's a general statement. 
I'm like, okay, I understand that. And it's a little bit exhausting because it's like they're saying women and not including non-binary ASAP people. There's an eye roll that happens, but then you kind of go with it. Yeah, because you're like, okay, I... Something someone said to me once, they were like, Wicked, like, you can't be so far ahead of the curve that no one else can see you. <laughs> Which is, like, <laughs> like kind of flattering, but at the same time, like, I was like, fuck, okay. I need to, like, take my politics and take my gender stuff back, like, ten notches just to deal with, like... Just to be comprehensible to the average regular person. Regular people. Yeah. Um, and this has been super evident since moving to small town northern BC. Oh my BC. god! Yeah, I'm like, okay, let's talk in absolutely binaristic terms, right? That everyone's gonna understand. Sure, call me one of the girls. That's fine. <laughs> like, yikes! Yeah. And so it's been it's been refreshing to come down for a visit and be like, oh my god, my pronouns. <laughs> it's so good. That's that's re- actually really similar to my experience of gender yeah. too. Like, I identify. Yeah very strongly is non-binary um yesterday when i went to work i was doing consulting and whenever i'm doing consulting that isn't with like an it company if i'm with like a progressive organization i will do shirt and tie with lipstick and nail polish i love it and because it's it's beard shirt tie lipstick nail polish and i just love everything about this like other gender performance yeah it feels very much like me and also my color coordination was so on point. It was very good. I saw the picture. You did? I was like, I was like, is it was it the lipstick and the tie or lipstick and the shirt? So it was the lipstick coordinated to the sweater. Oh, okay. Which yeah, was so like was this very rich peacock teal. Yeah, it was, I was good. So I was happy. like and then the shirt was like a lumberjack pattern, which is to say plaid. Wow, I can't believe I just did that. Because um, I thought of the shirt, and the first thing I thought lumberjack of was lumberjack. Um, and I'm like, wow. Perfect. Um, in fact, it. my partner mentioned that um, f- um, people with beards wearing plaid shirts are now being called lumber snacks. Oh, and I was I like, see that. is that because you just really want like a taste of that wood? Like, what exactly is <laughs> lumber? <laughs> Like, God, what that's exactly hilarious. is lumber snack lumber about? Snack. Uh, there's also like lumber sexual. That was a thing for oh a while. Oh my God. Do you I remember love that? It. that I, it was I like... do. That people are super into the like gruff, like highly masked plaid. Like, aesthetic, but then couldn't actually like swing an axe to save their life or anything. Right. So right. people who are actually like actual forest people were like, <laughs> we're like, what the fuck, <laughs> is, like, this? What the fuck is this bullshit? <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah, uh, but... I don't know. I think I definitely um, crack jokes like. With other with other queers about yeah. lesbian plaid, like I'm like, oh, this is my lesbian plaid, like when I'm like feeling like super dykey. Love it. <laughs> so I I definitely see the like attraction to plaid in that sense. I think plaid looks good on everyone. Everyone should wear a little more plaid. It's it's become this like very masculine thing that is becoming not masculine yeah. anymore. It's super gay. It, like, but that's like, the thing. It's just... <laughs> from a femme perspective, it's super butch. And then from a mask perspective, it's hyper masked to like beardom. So it feels queer in all of its incarnations, even when it's not intended as queer. It's like, what? I'm yeah. just wearing plaid. Yeah. I know. It's so funny how clothing is such like a weird signifier. So, I mean, it is and it isn't in that like it's always been such a strong signifier. Yeah. But um, also it just shouldn't be. Like, totally. Just wear whatever the fuck you want and then fuck who you want. And they shouldn't be related, but they are. And and even if they're related for you, great. But like we shouldn't necessarily make templates for all of society that has to follow, mm-hmm. you know, this thing or that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother like panicked when I was like a five or six year old and my mother and my sister dressed me in a dress. Oh, fuck. 
consensually. I was like, yeah, I'll dress in a dress. And they're like, oh my God, this is so adorable. Ha 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 ha. And my brother was like, this is not okay. You are like going to mess him up for life. And I'm like, I think that was just the parts of me coming out. <laughs> and also I think that probably that comment was more harmful than, right, you than know, being in a dress. Being in a dress. Like, let's be, cause, like if you're five or six and you still remember that comment, like. <laughs> That's yeah. actually a really good point. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow, that's 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 salient. Thank you. Yeah, is that yeah. the right way to use salient? I don't even know. We'll roll with it. It's well, fine. Yeah, sure. It's fine. It you works. could. You, I'll let the audience Google it and judge me silently. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, that's and that, it's like sometimes I do actually wonder. It's like, oh, am I one of those like cis women who just wants to feel special and like calls oh, themselves? You know, I definitely have these thoughts all the time. Like, am I just a cis straight girl who like wants to feel cool? Which is not not the case. It's that whole feeling of like queer enough kind of situation. It's it's the archetypal queer experience is to be like I don't feel queer enough. Yeah. It's like all of the women that I sleep with don't make me feel queer enough to not feel straight. I know. I know. Which is right? like what? I mean, what? like all you have to do is be like, hey, I find that other afab femme human super attractive. Like that's queer that right there. That makes you fucking gay <laughs> if you were socialized as a woman, like. Right or currently identify as a woman. Yeah, um, totally. So yeah. So and then and then like when it comes to gender stuff, I've I've also kind of said I mean gender whatever and not so much non-binary as like anti-binary. Like I just mm. think that binary is so mm. fucking harmful. Uh, I just want to step away from it. But then I also want to respect you know like trans people or whatever who the the gender is very important to them. Sure. If they're binary like, trans, you do you. Yeah, exactly. Which is another reason why I go with non-binary versus anti-binary, sure. but it's a really good point because in a lot of ways I'm anti like default binary. Yeah, like don't put me in a box. Like I can I do whatever I want. Yeah, you know? and like if people want to be binary and be like I'm a binary mask human and they like put on that song that's like I'm a heterosexual <laughs> man. It's like okay, <laughs> Um, you be your binary mask human. That's cool. It is not for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, or binary femmes. Cool. You do you. Yeah. And I want to see more cis people, like, questioning. Yeah. Like, and it, same with straight people. Like, not necessarily that, it, that, that it's a problem to be cis and or straight. Just, like, maybe actually step back and think about if that's actually who you are or if that's who you've been told you should be your whole life. Right. Like, did you have a straight coming out? Yeah. And if you didn't, why not? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, why Why do we assume that straightness and, and heterosexuality needs to be the default? Like, yeah, Which is so sad. It, it's, it's, there's not, yeah, and I, and I don't want people to misunderstand you. There's nothing sad about being heterosexual. No. I think what's sad <laughs> is that it is the default to the point where yeah, queer I mean. folks feel they have to decide how intensely gay am I? Is it gay enough to come out? Mm -hmm. And if it is gay enough to come out, great. Now I have to deal with, like, the emotional energy of coming out in a way that's, like, exclusively placed on the shoulders of gay children. Yeah. When, if we just stressed all children out and made them all... <laughs> <laughs> this is not a good solution, but my, yeah. my point being, um, if you didn't have a coming out, either gay or straight, it might be worth thinking about it. And, you know, if in 13 seconds you're like, nope, definitely 100% straight. Cool. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. awesome. Then exactly. you have incredible certainty that you could do it in 13 seconds. And like, that's worth celebrating. So maybe go out and have yourself a good old fashioned straight party. <laughs> Which I think is just going to any bar. I was going to say, which I think is just bars. every, every, everywhere. I think that's every party ever, except for the gay ones that are exclusively queer. Yeah. Maybe that's changing now. I hope it's changing. I don't know. You know, the whole Granville Strip, though, feels like a straight party. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Vancouver. Yeah. Also, also like a really 
toxically awful straight party. You mean there's another way? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh no, no, no. I'm trying not to Hashtag let my not like... all straight people, Victor. Like what are you <laughs> I love it. I love it. Fuck. Anyway. Um yeah, it's uh it's just like this like whole compulsory like this is what you're supposed to be and then when you grow up and you're not that thing mm-hmm. like like people get offended about it, which is really ridiculous. Like just Leave people alone. Let them do what they want to do. If yeah. you if you don't want to be gay, then don't be gay. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Like, if you but... don't if you don't want to get a gay marriage, don't fucking get one. If you don't yeah. agree with gay marriage, don't fucking get one. Yeah. If you what don't... does this have to do with the, me having the freedom to get married to whoever the fuck I want? Exactly. If you're anti-abortion, don't have an abortion, but it's, don't yes, tell it's... me that I can't have one if I want one. Like yeah. Especially anyway. with like all the precedents has been set. Let's not go through the incredibly expensive, divisive, and extremely unhappy conflict that is going to almost certainly um, happen to us, which is the fight about women having the right to bodily autonomy to decide what to do with their uteruses. Yeah. And, you know, fuck, like, we really should let people have hysterectomies and even not even hysterectomies, just letting people choose to get tubal Mm. ligations. Yeah. Like, just let people modify the bodies the way they want to modify the yeah. bodies so i i had a tubal at 28 okay which is a process i had started at 23 oh no. my goodness what's 27 minus 5 22 Got you. um <clears throat> because i went to my uh, i went to my family doctor and i was like look i don't want kids and so i want you know i want to talk to an actual gynecologist so he referred me to a gynecologist which was again like that's a nice thing to have happen because a lot of times family doctors are like, here's the pill, go fuck yourself. Right. So talking to my gynecologist, she's like, well, I'm absolutely not tying your tubes at 22 years old. And I was like, fuck, okay, fine. Um, so we, I had an IUD. I, hormones really don't get along with me at all. They make my depression like a thousand bazillion times worse, even if it's an IUD hormone, which is like supposed to say isolated to your uterus. And if you do a copper IUD, I take it, it's just awful for periods. It's horrifying. Yeah. Like I, I looked like the shining, you know, once, once a month and it was debilitating. Like my periods were bad before and even on the pill. Right. And then I got the copper IUD, which made me happier in other ways. But then it was like just, I, I, there were days where I had to be within like 10 steps of a washroom, like at all times, because it was just, I would bleed through everything. It was awful. Um, so after five years of that, five years of that, five years, five years, I go back to my, my gynecologist and oh, and part of what I said to her at 22 is like, I was like, oh, fine. I'll do your IUD now. But when I come back in five years, I'm getting a tubal. So I went back in five years. I was like, so about our agreement. And she's like, oh, you know, I don't know. And and she's like, it's not, she's like, it's not me personally. So I respect this. She's like, it's not me personally. She's like, it's when I put you on the board at the hospital for this surgery. I need right. to justify to everyone why I'm doing a tubal on a 27-year-old. Well, because you've had a consistent desire for five years that's remained unchanged. Yeah. Like, but... there, it, there's a lower requirement in Holland to get fucking assisted dying. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, think about that. That's bananas. Like, I... literally, you just need a consistent desire to die and some medical condition that, that seems reasonable yeah. for six months, confirmed by two independent GPs that don't know you, basically. So you need one independent GP that isn't your family, um, and then you need a confirmation GP that's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah. this person has this chronic illness. They want to die. It's been six months. They still want to die. 
eh, I can see how this is going to like save them a great deal of human suffering. Yeah. And it's based on what I learned in fourth year biomedical ethics, which is essentially to make it as simple as possible. People are the experts of their experience, Yeah. which is like a really simple principle that we inherently know to be true. But when you take it to a medical ethical place, it's like, right, you can't tell someone what their experience of life is. And if they say, yeah. this is awful, I want to die, yeah. then you have to make really difficult decisions based on like, is it ethical to let this person die? Is there is there reasoning that seems comprehensible? And a lot of the time when people ask for euthanasia, there's like, oh, I'm dying of cancer. I've lost control of my bowels. I don't feel like I have human dignity anymore. Like things that are like, I'm going to die anyways in four months and it's going to be a horrible four months. Just yeah. fucking take me out behind the barn. <laughs> Put both barrels yeah. right through my bonnet. Which is which is definitely not how the euthanized which is alive. <laughs> like just just to clarify everyone. And especially if a person's been depressed for most yeah. of their life. Like yeah. it's probably not going to induce fear in them in the yeah. same way. It's probably gonna be a relief. Yeah. Like if you think about the actual even from like a strictly utilitarian perspective of like what is their experience and I know utilitarianism's a terrible example, but you know, what is their quality of life? Is it gonna mm. get better or worse? Mm. Mm-hmm. And like, what is, what is the worst thing that is happening here? Like a human is ending their life, which is something literally they've been doing their whole life. They have yeah. been dying their whole life. They're going to die confirmedly because of this disease. What is a few fewer months of suffering? Like yeah. essentially you're speeding up what is considered absolutely inevitable. Yeah. And even if you say, oh, but what if they make a miraculous recovery, Victor? Cool. Okay. So they make a miraculous recovery from cancer. It's coming back. <laughs> and if the cancer doesn't come back, they will die normally. They will die of something sometime. It's the, a great equalizer. Absolutely. Um, no matter how big of a tyrant or how rich you are, mm-hmm. death is coming for you until we run into altered carbon territory, oh, which geez. is a reference to the show about the technology where you can essentially cloud save your state as a human and upload yourself into another body, which is going to be a very scary time to be alive because the richest people on earth um, will be able to continue living as long as they want, which means if a dictator runs a country and is an eternal president, they literally could be the oh, eternal Jesus. president of that country. Whereas like even eternal presidents in the worst dictatorships in the world die, even if they've written themselves into their constitution as eternal presidents. Anyways, there's really interesting um, conversations in that area that we don't really have time to get into. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but we were talking about gender stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was, uh, just to finish the, the sure, Tubal story. Please do. Um, I had to like actually wrote down all the things I had to do. Um, I had to try uh, hormonal IUD again, which mm. was horrible again. Why would I, they make you do that? Just to say that we had. Oh my god, it's so like that's awful. It gets worse. They sent me for a psych consult. What is that even? Were you fucking kidding? I'm not kidding. I had to go see a psychiatrist about the fact that all I right. I wanted a tubal ligation, um, which was actually like a blessing in disguise because I'd been dealing with um, trying to medicate and trying to figure mm. out my depression with a GP, which is just terrible. Yeah, you and need I, someone I got that... like my foot in the door with an sh- actual psychiatrist who can prescribe medication. Oh, that's great. Um, so just tell your doctor you want to see a psychiatrist <laughs> about tubal ligations, and they'll be like, "Oh no, we must save this woman from from we getting must rid save of her the uterus. biological imperative." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was he was great. He was like, "Well, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you don't want kids. You're not like scared of." pregnancy or anything but like there's a whole lot of other bullshit going on that we should probably deal with (laughs) that's great so so that actually worked out but just like the fact that i begged for a psych consult from my gp and couldn't get it and then decided you know had my 
my gynecologist sent me for one is bananas. Like that's just insane. Bananas anyway, is the right word. Yeah, there's there's a lot of but I actually wrote down everything that I had to go through because it was just utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Um Oh, I had to get like an ultrasound because they thought the IUD had been rejected because they lost the strings, like all this, all this stuff. And I was like, I don't care if the IUD is rejected because I don't actually even fucking want it anyway. Also, I think I'd probably notice if an IUD fell out of my vagina, but that's fine. Let let's just not take my experience into account. But that's it's. Why would we trust the lived experience of a woman in a medical setting? <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> that is completely absurd. <laughs> don't be ridiculous. We both know that's not how it works. <laughs> Anyway, so it kind of took about... Sarcasm, sarcasm. Uh, yeah, it, it took eight or nine months. And by that point, I was 28 by the time I actually got the surgery done. And it's like, I had a tubal ligation and a uterine ablation. So people who don't know what that is, is they basically light the lining of your uterus on fire <laughs> and scar the shit out of it so you don't bleed as much. So I can now like go about my day and I'm like, oh, hey, I have a period. Not like, oh, I'm fucking dying on my couch. Right. You know, of horrific cramps and bleeding like a stuck pig. Just, oh. Oh, that's so sad. Now I'm like, oh, I can just like go about my day. I'm like, is this how men feel? Like all the time? You can just like, like, suspense, sorry. <laughs> just like go about, do what you're doing. Like, mm. anyway. So yeah. It's like, it yeah, was, like, I hear you eye-opening experience so anyway um definitely recommend to people who are getting tubals that they also consider the ablation um i had to kind of not gonna lie i had to play up a little bit i mean i had the horrible bleeding when i had the iud but i just like was like oh that's always how it's been it's always been that bad right. and it's going to be that bad again when we take the iud out um because or else again they're like hesitant to like not make you miserable every month like i don't know i don't know why this is a problem um, and they don't want to do it to people who do want to breed <laughs> because, like, it makes it harder for the eggs to implant. But if you're getting a tubal anyway, like, just mm. fucking go for it. Mm -hmm. Burn that shit out. Definitely. <laughs> Pussy BBQ. <laughs> That's not entirely anatomically accurate, <laughs> uh, Victor, but it's I thought okay. the whole thing was the pussy. Everything. 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 <laughs> Ovaries. It is all pussy. It's all pussy. Christ. Or does pussy just refer to, like, vulvovaginal? I thought it, I thought that's... That was my, my perception you know, of pussy was, like... You're probably right. The pussy is vulvovaginal. It's, I'm like, just the being... sex bits. The sex bits. Like, the, yes, the uterus not the is reproduction the, in, in the incuba incubation bits. <laughs> right. Just like from Alien. <laughs> exactly. Just like that. Just like that. Exactly like that. Yeah. So, apparently, that's supposed to be a male pregnancy horror. Oh. That's why it's so scary to men, is because it's, like, you mean, like, the thing women go through as, like, a normal course of fact? Like, once you're impregnated, you can't just, like, not have the alien baby. It just tears its way out of your body. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> Um, which it is. <laughs> wow, what a concept. Yeah, so... And people telling you you can't get rid of it? Weird. <laughs> Weird how that's uh, problematic. And it, and it might actually kill you. Yeah. It, hmm. Or at the very least, metaphorically end your life. Mm-hmm. At yeah. the very least. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, so that's a thing. It's um, male pregnancy... Or male pregnancy horrors are a thing. In fact, oh. a really good one um, that doesn't... That more accurately maps to pregnancy is... Um, I think it's called Blood Child. It is Octavia Butler's short story about being a host for alien eggs that tear their way out of your body, but you survive it. And then it's just a really painful experience. Yikes. And it is it is essentially like a pregnancy analog. Um, and it's it's 
super neat. It's a super neat story because it's all about this this mask character um, that becomes a host for these eggs. And humans are kept as chattel animals because these aliens are like insectoid and they need um, chattel animals mm. to incubate their eggs. Right. So it's, it's a super neat. So the, the amazing thing about Octavia Butler is science fiction, in my opinion, is the way it addresses social justice and just like oppression and power dynamics. Mm. It addresses them through the lens of aliens that are super powerful or that have powers. And then it examines power dynamics from a very generic human perspective that anyone can understand. Mm, cool. Yeah. I should read that. Oh my god, if you haven't read Octavia Butler stuff, it is, in my opinion, among the best science fiction I've ever read. Perfect. And I say that as a person that grew up on the old white men. Yeah. I literally grew up on Heinlein, I grew up on Clark, I grew mm. up on Asimov. <clears throat> um, yeah, yeah. Like, the classics. And don't get me wrong, like, the whole Rama series by Clark and Gentry Lee has a, has a special place in my heart as one of the first ones. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. And that's I, what, what I think a lot of people, like want to get offended about and mm. whatever is mm -hmm. like it, when we talk about diversifying and they're like oh well but like these are the classics and blah 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 you can't yeah. just like get them rid of the out of the canon well okay no one's doing that right they can still be classics they can still be really good books they can still be or movies or whatever the hell you're talking about yep um, but it's not a crime to be like oh hey there's also some other voices with maybe some different perspectives that we should maybe Give some limelight to because they totally. literally never had it. Totally. And but people want to be like, you are like squashing the genius of like these horribly racist and sexist white men, and and that's apparently a problem. I like I don't even understand. I, I don't, don't get the I don't, I don't get the know. argument. It's like all we're saying is we want more voices in the conversation because different yeah. voices are interesting. Yeah, and, and it's not like there's a shortage. It's not like. It's really not like someone's getting like elbowed out of the way, right? Because there's so much fucking room. Like just let. Especially in art and publication. Absolutely. Like, just let it's... other people... Invite other people to the party. Like, your yeah. party's boring. It's just totally. a circle jerk of white dudes. Like, you know, get some other get some other people in there. And you Make can... for a better orgy. <laughs> I promise that. <laughs> you can tell when you, when you, like, think about scripts, too. Like, when you watch a television show and you're like, oh, they wanted to make this look gritty, so they opened with a rape scene. Yeah. Okay, yeah, oh, violence yeah, against women is just something to be casually used as a backdrop. Also, this like, is... that's never happened before. Like, that's never been used right, as a Right, that's an original thing. device to use. Yeah. I'm like, hmm, it almost seems like this was written by a dude um, and uh, a lazy one at that. Because to yeah. me, that's just lazy writing. Like, yeah. violence against women isn't a tool to be used to make mm -hmm. your universe look gritty. Do the fucking work. There are a million ways to traumatize a character. And yeah. when you look at popular writers, no offense, unknown person that wrote whatever, like even Westworld, which was a popular one, opens with a rape scene. I'm like, really? Did you need to? Um, and that's what I actually like as a show. It, it tends to have like a lot of really cool dynamics that it it sort of addresses. Um, but what? Like why even? Anyways, I, I, I mean, and I understand why it seemed consistent with the themes, mm -hmm. but it didn't need to be the opening scene to the show. And, sure. and it, there, again, they're just there are so many ways to traumatize a person that doesn't have bodily autonomy. Yeah. Like yeah. showing showing rape is not necessarily. No. It, it's going to be highly triggering for people that have been sexually assaulted, which is a shit ton of people. Yeah. I don't know. What was I that have... new Netflix show that came out? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And I I could not watch it. Yeah, it was too upsetting. Like it was so horrifyingly graphic, and and I was like, and people would go on, oh, oh but it's so amazing, and I was like, I watched like a third of an episode, and I was like, no, 
this is like just going to be awful for eight episodes or however long it was. Yeah, right? like I'm going to suffer through this and hate that I did this and it's going to exacerbate trauma and bring up old shit yeah. and then I'm going to have to try and figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. I don't have the spoons for that right yeah. now. Yeah, but having people who um probably who I think most I'm going to assume that most of them don't have that trauma sitting around talking about how amazing the show was. I'm like, "Huh. Maybe maybe it's not that amazing." Like, I don't know. I don't have perspective because I did not watch it. But also right. it's like... It was unwatchable for you. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, think about what the target audience there. And then it starts to feel like trauma porn. You know mm. what I mean? Like that whole criticism of um, 13 Reasons Why. Oh, where, totally. Where it's just like sitting around watching like all this horrible like shock value shit happen. Right. And and people getting off on it in one way or another, like right. just enjoying that kind of thing. It's like, yeah, oh, I watched a few episodes of that and was like, this just seems like it's glorifying suicide mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like, I don't see how this show is going to send a positive message to people who are going to kill themselves yeah. like after watching this show. Yeah. Um, so I'm like thinking about people who are suicidal watching this and I'm like, this is like a person who's going to commit suicide's wet dream. Like, it is literally like... I'm leaving all these tapes and clues and people are following them because they, they care about me so much and they're sad now and they regret not being a better friend to me in life. I'm like, not only is it like not realistic um, Mm -hmm. and that's just, it doesn't seem realistic to the way people respond and the tone of the show felt off to me. Um, But like, it's also perpetuating this fantasy that like Mm. suicidal children, like, and teenagers really would like potentially like it like like enjoy in a, mm. in a very questionable in my opinion kind of way so i didn't think making the show and writing it the way it was written was especially ethical to be honest sure and i mean it was a book first okay uh, and but it's a a book written about a young teenage girl's experience written by a dude oh so okay. there's that lens as well um right. and also what i found like super problematic is you know, as someone who's been a suicidal teenage girl, girl, um, quote unquote unquote girl, um, like that was never about anyone else or what anyone else did to me. I was never like, this person was mean to me and therefore I want to die. It was always like such self-loathing and self-perpetuating that I was like, this, this experience isn't realistic. Yeah. It totally misses the point almost. Also like 90% of her issues revolved around men, like rejecting her. And I'm like, I, I'm like, are you fucking serious? Like, and like how many dudes reject? Anyways, not important. Go on. No, I know. But it's like, it's like also, you know, again, suicidal, very much a loner teenage girl who, who like I had one relationship towards the end of high school and, but like throughout most of high school, I, I never went out with anyone. I got rejected by people. I got led on by people. I had bets made about me. It's all a whole fucking long story. Um, but like, I never was like, oh, that boy turned me down for a date. So I'm going to the, you know, and, and she has some other trauma, like super traumatic stuff that happens with men later in the show, but it, it just all revolved around like her interactions with men. And I was like, that's not how that works. You know, it's like, it's so much more, um, personal than, than these like weird petty interactions that, that was yeah it just yeah it seemed very superficial in a way that didn't resonate as a person who's been suicidal but i've never been a teenage girl who was suicidal so i'm like 
It still doesn't resonate. With... Good. Okay. <laughs> so it didn't resonate with either of us. No. no. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Mostly because it was like, again, about other people. Like, oh, other people were did this to me. So right. when it was all about like, I'm not good enough to live, which is so dramatic to say out loud, but like definitely was the way I was feeling. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. That resonates really hard with me. I would say no. that that lack of feeling of worthiness or of competency Mm -hmm. or like of being able to contribute in some way. It's like, it's hard to feel any sense of innate self-worth because you were never um, told you had any. Mm -hmm. So all (laughs) self-worth then comes from the ways you contribute to society and other people, which is why career is so important, which is why it's so easy to go to a place of feeling like an utter failure. If you don't succeed at the one, the one and only thing that maybe should, I mean, should, um, that, that maybe makes up 20 or 30% of most -hmm. people's like perception of how successful they are. And it now makes up a hundred percent of how successful one is. So it's like, how successful am I in my career? And it's like, not very, well, I guess I'm not very as a human as well. (laughs) Yeah. Which I mean, again, when you're outside of it, you're like, wow, that's super ridiculous. But when you're in it, it's like, so, so real. It it, it is, it is the absolute like truth of your experience when you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and I also bob in and out of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. In the same kind of poison apple way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just be like... <laughs> Gotta clear uh, that up, Snow White. Like, let's... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You only took one bite. Finish the apple. <laughs> Finish it. No. <laughs> that, big yikes, everybody. <laughs> that is... That is, how... <laughs> that is don't a make big them, yikes. Don't make them drink the tea, people. Don't make Snow White eat the apple. No, no. Finish. Finish it. Force. That's a, like, definitely very dark and weird force-feeding scene right there. Like, mm. that's, like... <laughs> I am very much a switch, so sometimes I get these, like, really horrific, devious ideas. I wonder what it would be like to actually put um, some kind of tranquilizer into an apple and then actually do the scene as, like, a consensual non-consent scene. Oh, okay, my... these are the ideas that should remain off of the like, air yeah, that are not recorded. Maybe, like, mm... <laughs> so let's move on to something else. Let's move on to something that, that won't have people suspect I should be in jail. Or, or yeah, we also don't want to trigger people, right? Because, again, like, when we start talking about CNC and stuff like that, like, that's, like... Yeah, it's, it's really hard for a lot of folks who don't have experience with consensual non-consent to think about it and characterize it in a way that doesn't feel really gross and awful and that yeah. isn't triggering. And it should be a little gross and a little awful and that's yes. part of what's and possibly a little triggering it. even yeah. like it it's sometimes used in a very cathartic way for people that want to revisit trauma yeah. and like yeah. shake up baggage that yeah. they're then going to go deal with in proper counseling yes please please properly deal with your shit that's yes very take important. care of yourself yeah yeah and then play around with it and get off on it later definitely (laughs) like there is no shame in being like i was horribly abused and this stuff relating to that gets me off because you have no way of knowing whether it would have gotten you off all the time anyways yeah like all the time i'm regardless all the time always always. (laughs) but like regardless whether it would get you off regardless or whether it's specifically like yeah oh this gets me off because like there's no way to know that there's no control you so yeah. there's no sense in running circles around yourself blaming yourself and being like i'm so broken this is so horrible yeah it's not and what they've what they unless they've, it is they've done some studies <laughs> you, you be the judge <laughs> um they've actually done studies on like king people versus the general population and it's the exact same percentage of people who are depressed and who are 
neurodivergent or whatever. Like, it's it's the same. It's a smaller group of... It's a smaller sample, obviously, of the larger population, but the, proportionally the same. The only difference they found is that people who are into kink are better at communicating and therefore are going to be better and have an easier time about talking about their mood disorders or their neuro mm. um, atypicalness um, mm -hmm. than people who are in the general population. So that's kind of been... Uh, uh, actually studied, which I find interesting because I know a lot of people are like, well, are all kinksters just like secretly fucked up? And it's like, no, it's like proportionally the same. Like, <laughs> Yeah, we're just probably more honest about it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like is my actual opinion. I yeah. think we just talk about this stuff and we engage with it in this really intense way that people find uncomfortable as fuck to do, which is yeah. understandable. Yeah. It's not less uncomfortable for kinksters. I think we just embrace really intense emotions. Yeah. And we're, and you just, you have to get to a point where you're like, again, I mean, I said earlier in this episode about like, I'm actually having a really tough time right now and we are going to use this experience to like help me not 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 deal with that stuff because again deal with that in therapy but like to like just give me a moment of reprieve like it's coping yeah yeah so so you have to be honest about that or else you start to tread into some really murky waters yeah and and then you get into scenes with people and they're not not informally consented yeah they're not informally informatively consented to the activity you're doing mm -hmm. right so. Yeah, they have not been informed. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, that's actually more dangerous than I think a lot of people realize. In sure. those same studies, um, they found that bottoms and tops don't differ in levels of empathy at all, mm. which yeah. is surprising given how many sadists um, are in the community, which goes to show you that sadists are at least the kind that do so consensually in BDSM society, mm -hmm. um, they aren't less empathetic than other people, which is mm. fascinating to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, just like as a switch and as a sadomasochist, I'm like, okay, like, so, I, like mean, I totally, I totally get it. Like, um, I'm also a switch and a sadomasochist. Yeah, but so like bringing someone through mm. uh, a masochistic experience mm. is for me like such like, a form of like giving and like I feel like I'm giving this person this experience and I am enjoying the reaction and I'm enjoying the energy they're giving to me back but I know that I'm giving uh them what they want mm. and what they maybe need in that moment and that's like so satisfying for me and I guess that's where like the empathy from for my perspective sure. comes in so sure that, I mean that's how I feel too mm. a lot of people I think conflate sadomasochism with sexuality and like for me, being a masochist doesn't turn me on. Being a sadist doesn't turn me on. Mm. I do like degrading the crap out of people. That turns me on. <laughs> it's so funny. But it like isn't surprising mm. because I think a lot of quote unquote vanilla people also really enjoy degradation stuff. It's just a question of how much they're willing to indulge in it. Mm -hmm. I don't. My think, opinion. I don't think there's such thing as a fully vanilla person. But that's right. You know, like I think everyone's got something. Yeah. No one just likes miss missionary staring into each other's eyes lovingly sex like all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. I still love I still love myself a good vanilla romp, not gonna lie. It's a nice flavor. I'll sure. go there. But like I feel like everyone's got a something. You yeah. Know? And and I think people who are sexual like just deny themselves that conversation and deny um because of shame or because of stigma or whatever. Um they're unwilling or unable to open up those doors. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. again, that's like a whole other podcast. I could rant about this for a long time. <laughs> totally. Whereas all I was thinking of when you said good flavor was vanilla cream pie. <laughs> 
Victor, no. <laughs> it's only bad if I start going into alternative flavors. Oh my god. <laughs> if it's starting to be alternative flavors, you maybe should get that looked at. Like <laughs> <laughs> I meant like strawberry. <laughs> it's, it's, it's if it this... looks like a strawberry cream. Well, I mean, I guess that could be. Anyway, I mean, never or... mind. We're being gross. <laughs> I'm like, it's a once a, once a month flavor for most people. It's oh my a God. thing. Especially like day four, day five, you're getting into like edible territory. Oh my God. You're... Depending on the kinkster. Depending some folks on your are life. Like, like... Some people are day one. I don't, I don't personally get it, but some people are into that. You do you. Um, who is it that did that song Warm, Bloody and Tender? I have no idea. Gonna have to, gonna have to look it up, but. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we press on, let's get to question two here. Um, how has gender stuff impacted depression? Oh, geez. Uh, actually, you know what? It hasn't. It hasn't really. Awesome. I, I, I didn't have... Even coming out as queer and gender stuff, it didn't... I didn't have, like, a big coming out or anything dramatic. Part of that in my family, my younger brother's trans, and my family was, like, kind of traumatized by that. So me being like, I'm bisexual. Like, they were like, whatever. Like, that's nothing. Awesome. <laughs> and it, I think it came out, I can't remember. We were watching a movie or something. I think Tessa Thompson was in it, because who isn't horny for Tessa Thompson? And I was like, oh, my God, Tessa Thompson. And my mom was like, aren't you straight? And I was like, Definitely not. <laughs> and that was like it. That was like the only time we like. Definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, so it, it wasn't like I didn't I didn't feel like I had to have this huge coming out thing. Um, probably the only like stress I have I, I, about gender and sexuality, which again, I I previously mentioned was that feeling of like not queer enough or like, am I just a cis straight woman who wants to feel alternative in some way, mm -hmm. which is like not the case. Um but you, I still have those feelings, and that's maybe that's more anxiety about like, do I fit into this community, or am I co-opting this community uh, because I feel safe there, or you know right. what I mean? Like, like when straight girls go to the gay bars, and I Ugh. understand how that's problematic, but I also understand like that's the only it's way safer. it's safer for them, right? Like, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 kind of only the only like major anxiety I think I've had towards gender stuff. Um, I don't present as mask. A lot of the time in everyday life. Do you um, present as masks sometimes? Do you go yes, and drag? I not drag is probably a strong term, but that's fair. I've definitely like and some people don't like tried it. Tried to downplay like the size of my breasts, and I've not done makeup, and I've tried to wear my hair in a way that looks more quote unquote masculine. Because what does that mean? Um, and but those are usually at like queer events, like queer mm -hmm. swarm or swallow mm -hmm. your pride stuff like that. Because yeah. Trying to do that out in, in everyday life is, like, just kind of exhausting, as I'm sure you've had that experience. Yep. Um, I, I still will wear lipstick to certain jobs where I can wear lipstick mm -hmm. to, and it is weird being out in society mm -hmm. because then I am that queer looking, yeah, but yeah. out in society. And I'm like, oh, this is the experience most queers have all of the time. Yeah, surprise. Yeah. yeah this is me losing my passing privilege and just being mm -hmm. queer on the outside too. Yeah. But my, uh, there's a couple of people at work who are talking about doing a like formal poker party where like people dress up in formal wear. And I'm like, I should wear a suit. I was like, I should bind my tits and wear a suit. Definitely. And like a suit that's cut for men and be like, what's up? I look hotter than all of you. Like, like let's go. We'll see which of us leaves with her. <laughs> exactly. 
uh, here to steal all your girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> all at the same time. All of them. And then we're all going to go and have sex with each other, or more appropriately, I will have sex with all, all of them. All of them, and it'll be great. <laughs> we, will just, we will just form an orderly train, <laughs> and none of you will be invited. And none of you are going to be there. Um, but yeah, I, I first would need to get a suit that's cut for men, which is like can be expensive that's an expensive undertaking but i feel but like it's something if you're I looking anyway. for one that doesn't need to be good fitting mm. you can always go to a cheaper place yeah i yeah. can recommend some cheaper places yeah again it's finding them up in up in middle of nowhere right right versus trying to buy one here yeah, yeah. we can talk about how much money you want to spend in a suit later all right thanks victor <laughs> <laughs> i will definitely help um, well, and femmes have typically been amazing with me in terms of helping with makeup. I'm good, yeah. Right? And yeah. not just YouTube femmes, but like femmes in real life. Real life femmes, what? Yes. Yeah. Who have just been like, oh, yeah, if you want help with that or if you want to know yeah. how to do this thing, like I'm happy to show yeah. you. And then just being like, oh, thank you so much. It's it's a weird kind of sorcery that like I, I don't know. Gender sorcery. Gender sorcery. Like I, st- I, I don't even remember when I started playing with makeup. Again, I think it's like 13, 14. Mm-hmm. But it's still like something I enjoy and something that I'm like, oh, well, let's try this thing. I'll just like, if I'm home on a casual week night, I'll be like, let's play around with this palette. See what these colors look like together. Like it's, totally. You know, it's such a such a weird thing that um, I find sometimes like gendered education and what like certain genders like seem to really understand and what certain genders like don't and how that's all been socialized through our lives i find that actually like kind of fascinating Mm -hmm. sometimes but yeah anyway yeah it goes back to what you were saying about um like it it doesn't seem weird like or 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 it seems really weird that clothing imparts so much gender and i'm Mm -hmm. like but it's such a large part of what gender is at all i know i know and then it comes back to like what is a gender like i don't right right (laughs) je ne comprends pas like i don't know like (laughs) yeah it's it is a collection of of ways of flagging for a social role sure right like when i think about when i think about gender i think it's just flags for like i fit into this box Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but people are so attached to it like and that's sure i mean in the same way that people are really attached to their identity as like fisting kinksters um i fit into this box are people Um, (laughs) are people that attached to like flagging flagging i think think because because i'm like bi switchy yeah gender whatever i'm like you can't put me in a box like i like all the things all the time and so, you know um but only when i like them but only when, only I, when decide. I want them yes exactly <laughs> yeah. so it's uh anyway it's a whole that's a whole thing like yeah but people can be really attached to their identity as kinksters yeah. they're and like labels oh, are I'm... important for communicating to people I think right for sure Right. It's the people who are like, I'm a rope human, or I'm a, a needles human, or I'm a decorative cutting human. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, people are really attached to their sub-community. I have no idea what the cat is doing. He's destroying your toilet paper. Oh, he's destroying my toilet paper. <laughs> I should probably go stop him, but... He's having a good time. He's just so cute. Yeah, we should, we should stop him. There I shouldn't teach him bad habits. There we go. <laughs> I got his attention. <laughs> He's coming to visit. Anyway. Aw, such a cutie. He's so responsive, too. Yes. You should adopt this cat. No, uh, I I want to get one when I'm back up at home. You should I get no one back up at home. to get him home. Oh, I'm sure we could help. I... <laughs> I mean, if you say that it's an emotional support animal, which he is. Oh, yes, he absolutely is. Look at then that. you can fly with him. <laughs> they can actually fly with you in the cabin if they're emotional yeah. support animals. Yeah. Um, they're starting to do that with mini horses now. What? Yeah, miniature horses. What? can fly. What? Yeah, there's a video. I'm so confused, but okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this horse like wedged 
in front of people's legs on this flight. (laughs) Can you imagine if you were stuck in that same row, though? I'd be like, what is this bullshit? Why is there a horse on this plane? Yeah. I guess many horses aren't really bigger than the biggest dogs. That's true. Okay. Anyway. Um, So we've talked a lot about gender and depression stuff. Yeah. Oh, for like an hour and a half. Yeah, well, because we recorded two sessions at once, and then, okay, I'll, you're then gonna... I will split them. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how this works, so here we go. Um, so you have done CBT. You haven't found it super helpful. That was one of my questions. You have tried medication. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about medication? Sure, like, yeah, What yeah, your yeah. experience of taking yeah, medication I think, for depression was? I think this was? is actually, like, really important, and it's actually a conversation I had with someone the other night who's like, oh, I've tried, like two different medications and neither of them are working one does this one i'm like oh only two i'm like yeah you gotta keep going um i think it's so so important to try different meds find what works for you um find i i had issues with anything anything serotonin related ssris even it was just like the tiniest amount of ssri combined with other things would give me either a completely flat affect, like just no feelings at all, or I couldn't orgasm, which is like not a life I'm willing to live. <laughs> Legit. So, so I was like, I'd rather be sad and able to come than than deal with this. You'd so rather I tried... feel too much of all the things than not enough of any of the yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. I tried like six to eight different kinds of drugs and would like try one and be like, okay, I like the other one better, go back to one and then like flip around and do all this stuff. Um, and what's kind of ironic is I, I wound up, I've wound up now what works for me is I'm back on the first drug I actually ever tried. Really? Yeah. Which is bupropion. But the issue with the bupropion is that it was really, really good for the depression, but it gave me anxiety. Mm. Um, which so, makes sense. Cause it is like a stimulant. Yeah. So we tried to, that's why we tried other things. Cause I was like, I don't know how to deal with this monster. I know how to deal with the sads monster. I don't know how to deal with the anxiety monster. Oh, different monsters. Different monsters. Um, uh, so that's why we went on to try like actual SSRIs, um, of varying experiences and degrees. And, uh, and then wound up back on bupropion. Cause I was like, this was actually the best thing for my depression anyway. Um, and then on top of that, I take buspurone which is an anti-anxiety medication. Oh, interesting. Um, so some people are like, but like you could take one pill for both of those. And I'm like, well, but I could, but this is actually the better right. cocktail for me specifically. And I feel like, I feel like people try one or two different drugs and then they're like, oh, well, this isn't going to work. And they give up on it. Yeah. Which, which isn't is, possibly a mistake. Well, but it's also valid. Like I, I can yeah. understand those feelings. I definitely like uh, quit an SSRI cold turkey and was like, fuck this. Um, which was a terrible idea. Please don't do that. I went definitely into a suicidal spiral. <laughs> At least like try and half your dosage yourself if yeah. you don't want to see your doctor exactly. again. Exactly. I just stopped taking it. It's a bad plan, everybody. Um, and then like just didn't try any drugs again for like six months or so. And I was like, this also sucks. So mm-hmm. kind of went back and was like, okay, hey, what else can we do? Because this is not working. Um, and... And yeah, just fiddled around because I was seeing a psychiatrist and I had that, you know, odd stroke of luck. Um, I, we were able to try like some new medications that are just coming out, some samples and stuff. Um, Trintilex, which I think I chatted with you a little bit about. Yeah. Vortioxetine, I think is the drug and then the brand name is Trintilex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but again, it's like anytime something like whispered to serotonin, I just like either lost my ability to come or like my ability to feel anything at all. So it was the worst. Yeah. Just like completely flattened me out, which was lame. So it is lame. Yeah. So anyway, I found, I found a, you know, a, a, a thing that works and I'm kind of laughing because the last time I needed to get my prescription refilled, I was living up North. So I did like the online, you know, video chat thing. Mm -hmm. And, and the doctor was like, have you ever considered going off your, your antidepressants? And I like belly laughed. I was like, I was like, bitch, no way. Like (laughs) I'm going to take these till I die. Like, like, cause, um, I actually, I'm like, huh, I'll, I'll just go like, long stretches of time without fantasizing about my own death, which is like... Did you see, I didn't even know this was possible. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, I, I don't have to feel worthless all of the time. Yeah, which, and for me, it definitely, there there's definitely a genetic component to, like, my depression. Sure. sure. And I have absolutely no issues with people who are going through a depressive episode and use medication to help them get out of it. People have, like, so much stigma about that. Like, you can feel your feelings and not like you're still going to feel your feelings on antidepressants. Mm-hmm. It's just going to make your day-to-day life like more bearable. Right. Um so people can people go on and off them, but I think for me I'm like no, nah, this is a lifelong medication and yeah. you know, I don't care about long-term effects and stuff like that. I'm like because because sure. the alternative is terrible. Right. And the alternative I had, I've been that depressed for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like if if I was depressed that long without medication, and I'm now not feeling that way with medication, why would I? Why would, would I go ever back? go back? You wouldn't tell a diabetic to go off their insulin. Just right. try titrating down your insulin and see if that works. Like, no, my brain like just doesn't make the happy chemicals. So I just, mean, they like, they say that about type two diabetes because you could just there. do exercise and diet. Um, which for diabetes specifically makes sense. It doesn't make as much sense for a lot of other things. And I think the truth is like, for me at least, exercise and diet are like, yeah, no, I get it. Running 30 minutes a day, three times a week is supposedly not statistically different from taking a prescription of Sertrazine or Zoloft. Really? Mm. That's how successful exercise is as an antidepressant. Yeah, if sure. you could bottle exercise and sell it, it would destroy all other antidepressants. Yeah, I mean, I have some feelings about that, right? Because that definitely, I mean, I think you know it taps into ableism and it totally. taps into all kinds of things. And we, we shouldn't shame people for not exercising or not wanting to exercise. Sure. And, and also, I have feelings about that because when I first started going through, like, my diagnosis and seeing my GP, I definitely was told, that, like, just exercise more and eat right. right. At the time, I was a professional athlete. I was working yeah, out that's bullshit. six days a week. Um, at least like for several hours a day. What an ignorant doctor to say that. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, and I was arguably, I mean, again, I was like not medicated. So I was super depressed. But Uh, otherwise the best shape of your life. Best shape of my life. And I'm like, you're telling me to exercise more? Like what the fuck? No, like clearly like (laughs) I am a very active person. Um, so yeah, that that I I mean, it sometimes it just gives me like a little bit of an eye twitch, and I understand like I totally understand like I could get it exercise diet like it definitely contributes to your overall health and happiness, which is like a mental state, mm-hmm. mental health as well. Um, but when I'm like I literally ate chicken and salad 
and worked out six days, six to seven days a week for several hours a day. Like, don't tell me I'm like not eating right or yeah, like not garbage. working out. Like, give me I don't think you could even do better than that. I know. It was like, it's just such a knee jerk reaction though. Cause ev- yeah. like typically everyone could, everyone could use more exercise. Everyone could eat better. Like that's as, as a general, sure. General statement. Sure. Yeah. But I'm like, maybe look at the individual and what they're doing with their life. Like, like just consider yeah. before suggesting a solution. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Oof. Yeah. That's, that's painful. You're yeah. like, yeah. I'm already trying my very, very hardest. I'm like, I'm doing my best. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, doing my best and trying my very hardest to exercise also applies to me when I'm exercising 30 minutes a week. Yeah. Like, if I make 30 minutes a week of running, that is, like, the absolute, maybe twice a week is the most I've ever done, other than when I was playing hockey and football. Because yeah. I find that, like playing sports is a lot more compelling than just running oh yeah yeah i love for me i i hate going to the gym like i i get so bored so fast Mm. um or just like doing workouts at home i find just like absolutely painful um but like going out and doing something like let's go out play badminton let's go out you know play keep away soccer or you know like you know what i mean like when it becomes a social event or even yoga like i love going to yoga because it's like if I go out and do something mm-hmm. that it doesn't feel like, you know, a workout quote unquote, You've and like I don't get bored participated in an activity. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like it's exercise for the sake of exercise. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, this is good for me, but also it's fun. Yeah. I'm like distracted by the tasks I'm supposed to be completing. Sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah. When most people think about like, oh, I need to work out more. I need to exercise. Like they think about again, going to the gym and like, putting on their headphones and staring off in space and doing the same dozen exercises over and over again, which some people love. There's nothing wrong if you love that. Sure, sure. For sure. But I... I... In fact, good on you for for loving that because it's so useful. Yeah. (laughs) I just don't. Absolutely. But it's like, you know, pick up swimming, you know, go... Sure. Like, whatever. Just pick a thing. Go do it. Like, that's going to be the best way of getting exercise into things. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like we covered a lot of the pursuit of excellence stuff. I was going to ask you a question about that, but I feel like we covered it. Definitely. <laughs> um, I think we talked a lot about career path as well. Yeah. Um, so now that you finally are gaining traction in your career and mm. doing all that super cool shit, yeah. Um, do you find the success particularly fulfilling or do you think it's more the meds or like to what extent does that? I think changing careers because – I mean, we've talked about it before, like I was a pro athlete and that was my life. That's how I made my livelihood and my, my money, right. which is not a great way to make a livelihood or any money. Right. Um, and transitioning into this medical career um, has been like probably the best thing I've done for myself in a very long time. Um, I love it. It's exciting. It's fun. Um, I enjoy my coworkers for the most part. Um, there's always that one guy. There is always that one guy. Of course. But um, <clears throat> um. And that's half the battle when you start a new job. It's like, am I going to like the people? Oh, God. But no, the people are great. Um, And it's definitely contributed to my overall happiness because I feel like my life has more purpose now. Like, I'm actually doing something that matters in the world versus, like, when you're in pro sports, it, it feels very... It felt for me very superficial, especially as I started, like, analyzing the world a little bit more closely mm. and especially started analyzing capitalism and social injustices and how that all contributes to capitalism competing in a in a very much an elitist sport i was like huh this is like a very small subset of people can actually afford to do this right um and then being very aware of my privilege which is like 
fine. Have the privilege and go do the things with your privilege. But I think being being aware of it and being like, I, I wanted to do something that felt more meaningful and less like it catered to like old white rich people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was kind of, that was kind of a big, a big thing. So, and it's, it's exciting. I'm an adrenaline junkie, so I have a good time doing it. And um, I have a lot of fun fun with it quote unquote people think it's weird when they when you say you have fun in the medical field but we know it totally makes sense i get it yeah, yeah. but i've been I, I did first aid um at mm. like motocross yeah no oh, yeah which that was like, like like that'd be fun too. that's just the cat digging yeah, yeah um the cat is using the litter box which is also in this room because heat is expensive so my bedroom is heated so the cat spends all of his time here right now because he's like it's winter it's cold outside it's cold why yes. is it so cold yes um what was i gonna say Oh, right. Adrenaline. So it's, it's interesting how when you talk about adrenaline in the context of kink, people are like, well, I don't know. But the second you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go water skiing. People are like, oh, yeah, have fun. Yeah. It's like you don't. What? What? Like yeah. you seem to have such an issue with with when I get my, you know, get any adrenaline from the thing that I'm doing, like mm-hmm. any kind of like, oh, this is an exciting sport. Um, when it's when it's kink or BDSM, people have all of these like hangups over it. But the mm-hmm. second you're talking about football, um, right. your risk of injury is not lower. Um, in football, yeah. are you just smelling the cat? No, no, it definitely oh. just like flung some litter in this direction, but that's fine. Oh, He's my bad. Fine. Okay, it's whatever. I take responsibility for the cat, so I feel like I'm allowed to apologize <laughs> for him. He's wonderful. He is so cute. Um, right. yeah, for sure. Like I totally agree with that. But it's like as soon as you sexualize anything, it becomes like a way bigger, you know, issue. Like people are like, oh, like I mean, we, you and I have spoken about at length mm-hmm. about how kink can just be kink yeah and just pursue that thing but uh, most people are still gonna tie kink and sex together yeah and as soon as somebody does that it becomes like what do you mean this is horrible you like like, of course um how dare you enjoy yourself and have meaningful interactions with people enjoy adrenaline and an orgasm at the same time why would you you do that yeah (laughs) Jeez. Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, people. Oh, people. Oh, people. I don't understand. But uh, but apparently some people get very hung up on this situation. Fair enough. So what is next for you in tackling depression? Do you have like a next step or do you feel like you're at enough of a plateau that you're like, I'm good here. I'm good here. I'm adopting a cat. I think that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> that is solid. That's a good plan. You know, actually, like, because I've had animals my whole life and now that I've moved away and I don't have an animal in my life, I've, I've missed that. So I'm like, okay, well, this is going to help. Just with my, with my, again, feeling like I have a purpose, I have something, something at home, something to take care of, something that relies on me. That got Mm -hmm. me through a lot of suicidal episodes, actually, when I was younger, is having, like, an animal that relied on me for its survival. Right. I was like, well, what's going to happen to that animal when I'm gone? Yeah, I can't kill that animal. Yeah. Only this animal. Only this animal. Only me. Um... I feel like we maybe should have put a trigger warning at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> I will I will retroactively go back and put trigger warnings yeah. in. Um, especially since we're like super blasé and we both use humor as a coping mechanism. Definitely. So, so we're just sort of like, let's just casually talk about suicide. Um, but no, for real, like having an animal around like definitely helped me um, get through some, some really dark shit. Um, and it's, so it's almost like a proactive measure, like mm, going to need an animal. <laughs> inevitably me. when i have issues with suicide again I'm yeah gonna yeah animal. i'm gonna need i'm gonna need an animal so um I, but i don't i think i feel like i'm well balanced now in terms yeah. of like uh, i have a, the good medication regimen um i would love to find a counselor to talk about 
um, some, I mean, some, I don't want to say unrelated because it's all related, right? But, like, some more, like, relationship stuff. Like, I don't know how to have a relationship. Like, I literally don't know how. So it'd be nice to figure that out. <laughs> and um, talk about trauma bonding and, and stuff like that. And how Which we, we can how, do in a different episode. Yeah, how we get out of that cycle. Um, yeah. But isn't it isn't it the only way to have a meaningful relationship? Fuck, I know, right? Like just uh this is like a, this is like my newest like I guess bit of self improvement of like, okay, how do I get out of the cycle of trauma bonding with people and right. and um having that feel like the only way to to fall in love with someone. I look at back right. at my relationships where I was like, I was in love with those people and I'm like, No, I was trauma bound with those people and we were just like they were horrible to me, but I was in love with them. And they're yeah. part of the reason they're horrible is because of their trauma. Right. And that's how they interacted with other people. But and that's like, how you excused it. And exactly. With them exactly. For so and that's how I excused it. Um, <laughs> and, and definitely it's, it's like such a fine balance because finding someone with shared life experience, like other people who've had depression or sexual assault, if that's happened to you or sure. it's like, Oh, this person understands me on like a deeper level than anyone else, which yeah. is an amazing feeling. But if neither of you have properly dealt with that trauma <sighs> and then yeah. it just like keeps cycling and it, it feel feel like that's the only thing that bonds you and it's a super, super strong and legitimate bond. You posted something the other day on Facebook about um, trauma, how bonding. It, trauma bonding and how it's super useful in the army mm. for helping pre- uh, prevent PTSD and stuff like that, is, which is like, so it's actually like a brain me- protective mechanism, but in the context of a, of a relationship, it's incredibly harmful and potentially yeah well yeah i mean again you can have shared life experience but it's sure. like let's have shared life experience that we've properly dealt with yeah and not and not trying to use each other as like a therapist i think that's what's harmful yeah is using each other as a therapist and being and making excuses for shitty behavior mm-hmm. based on trauma yeah um that you've both shared like if those are behaviors you're seeing mm-hmm. um might be time to re-examine stuff yeah yeah um, and I think that's like, again, thinking about these kind of two individuals that I'm like, I was in love with them. Um, like neither of them had properly dealt with their trauma mm. and they would talk to me about it, which I was like, Oh, I'm so honored that they feel like they can open up. But then it's like, Oh, they were just using the like a fab femme person as a therapist Ooh, Yeah, because that's what men are socialized to do. <laughs> ha, ha, that's, that's funny. Um, it's like that meme with the butterfly, like. <laughs> Which what's the meme? Oh, it's like oh, it's from a an anime, and okay. it's, it's got a butterfly, and I can't remember. It's like someone the butterfly's labeled a woman, and underneath the caption of is like, "Is this a therapist?" <laughs> and anyway, it's funny if That's you know what funny. I'm talking it's about. It's someone questioning what a butterfly is. Yeah, exactly. Got you. Is this a therapist? Yeah, it's just a woman. But it's got a woman. You. It's a woman. So yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Anyway. Um. I think that happens a lot, especially in straight relationships. Uh, yeah. I love men. People think I, I hate men, but I love men. I just really want them to do better. <laughs> You're like all the dick, but hopefully attached to brain that is healthy yeah. and has dealt with stuff. And like, I feel like anti-oppression politics are super important for everyone. Yeah. And just like self-examining and undoing harmful behavior is important for everyone. But men tend to kill people over not doing that work. So it's like extra important for them. Yeah. You know, I'm like, oh, 
like yeah the number of femmes that are murdered by intimate partners who are men is just it's is a very alarmingly high number it's the most likely homicide explanation yeah if someone's literally like so a woman was murdered i'm like intimate partner yeah exactly if it wasn't an intimate partner i'd be shocked yeah because that does happen but it is not the most statistically if you were placing bets and a a woman was and a man was murdered Mm. you wouldn't guess intimate partner it is not another dude another dude um but if a woman is murdered it's not just a man it's almost certainly an intimate partner and i would put money on it every time and if we were randomly drawing cases i would win money absolutely 100 percent. i mean and i i feel like i want to have these conversations in a way that doesn't negate the violence that men have experienced sure and i feel like that is a huge conversation that people don't have people skate over it and yeah. often it's binary focused people exactly. that tend to look at men as perpetrators of violence exclusively mm-hmm. which don't get me wrong they perpetrate a lot of violence Absolutely. sure um and that's is it is what it is it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that any one specific man is necessarily violent it means yeah. we perceive men as violent mm-hmm. because um a lot of perpetrators who are violent are also men and yeah. humans tend to make these associations that are helpful for staying alive i was gonna say it's a safety mechanism um yeah. But it does, like, negate abuse that men have um, experienced. It, it can. It can, sure. It but can. I think a lot of a lot of the conversations... Have done that, yeah. Have done that. I'd agree with that, yeah. Which, um, like, looking on a broader social level, like, yes, usually usually it's women who are subjugated to violence um, by men, if we're, if we're talking in binaristic terms. Um, but... I don't want to ignore the fact that men also suffer intimate partner violence as well. It'll look different. Yeah. Than, yeah, that's true. Than um, intimate partner violence t- done unto women, but it mm-hmm. it does exist. Yeah. For sure. And it, and not even that it just like does exist. Like it it happens, and it's. I mean, I'm not even trying to be one cases too many about this, but like it's. It's a lot not compared to the gendered violence that women experience with intimate partners. Mm-hmm. It's like men experiencing intimate partner violence is still a lot and is still alarming. It's mm-hmm. just that the problem that that femmes are facing in intimate partner violence is so astronomically it's big. Epidemic. It's It's hard to conceptualize the yeah. violence men suffer sure. as being large because we tend to be comparative thinkers. Mm -hmm. But if we're not comparative thinkers, then they are both significant problems we need to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I and I like understand when people are like, well, this conversation is the one we're having about women and we don't need to bring men into it. And I'm like, but why are we Mm. having a conversation about women? Are we having a conversation about partner violence? Right. Cause they're different conversations, different conversations. And we can talk about female partner violence. Like, Sure. Exclusively, like like AFAB people experiencing yeah. partner violence. Sure, yeah, that is a conversation. It's yeah. not a problem. But I don't, I don't like it when it's framed like this is all the, intimate oh, partner violence, yeah, and then men all, are left out of yes, the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah that's like, bullshit. Like framing it as like only women and yeah, AFAB yeah, that's people really bullshit, experience yeah. this. It's not okay. So, anyway. Yep. Another sidetrack. Look at us go. No, I I feel <laughs> you. I completely hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and on that shiny note, um, would you like to end this podcast and begin another one? Sure. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with me. No problem. This has been interesting. It's good conversations. I always like talking to you, Victor. Yay! <laughs> so how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions. Or you can go to patreon.com slash victor salmon where you can find our Discord server. 
All of these communities are available on IntimatePodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.